The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came down and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one of any of the things they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. It's probably never occurred to most of you to think in these terms, but by the time our worship is over this morning, we will have heard, said, or sung the word glory 26 times. When I'm really stuck writing, I count the word the. For example, early in the service, we sang glory to God in the highest. We just said before hearing the gospel, glory to you, Lord Christ. And in a few moments, we're going to sing heaven and earth are full of your glory. Glory is an important word in the gospel story this morning. Peter, John and James get to see Jesus's glory. What exactly did they see? The text doesn't tell us much, only that the appearance of his face changed and that his clothes became dazzling white. In the Hebrew Bible, the Bible of Jesus and the disciples, glory is a very important characteristic of God. It has both a physical presence, a physical element, and an ethical presence or element. Glory is what the Israelites see when they're following the pillar of cloud and fire out of Egypt. It's what they see and hear and feel when Moses is on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. It's the vision we heard last week. You remember when Isaiah describes the vision he has of the garment of Yahweh and the angels and seraphim singing and shouting all around him. That's glory. It's brilliance. It's brightness. It's awesome in the true sense of the word. The glory of God in the Hebrew Bible also has an ethical dimension. The glory of God is present where there is justice, where there is mercy, 
For there is compassion. For there is faithfulness. In the Christian era, a man named Irenaeus, who was bishop in the second century in France, wrote this about the glory of God. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. Irenaeus was arguing against a teaching called Gnosticism, which held that the material world in general and the human body in particular was an obstacle. It was an impediment in the spiritual life. Unfortunately, we have bodies and we live in the material world. Oh, well, only the elect, the spiritually elect, who had access to special knowledge could come into the presence of God and to be one with God. This attitude was followed by the other attitude that since the body didn't matter, why not subject it to all manner of wild and promiscuous behavior and be a hedonist? Or on the other hand, since the body didn't matter, why not subject it to a wide variety of harsh, ascetical activities and be moralistic and be a moralist? Furthermore, this way of thinking denied the full humanity of Jesus. He was like a ghost who only appeared to be human. He had us all fooled. He wasn't really a human being. He was just a projection. Well, the Christian movement, encouraged by men like Irenaeus, instead embraced the paradox that Jesus was fully God and fully human. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. Is that what Peter and James and John were seeing? A human being fully alive? The prototype human being fully alive? We know what made Jesus divine as we read the gospel accounts. It's, it's the healings. It's the miraculous feedings. It's his apparent mastery over physics. He walks on the water. He stills the storm. All these things remind us that Jesus was fully divine. But what made Jesus human? He had a body, a real body. He lived the full range of human emotions and activities. He was deeply engaged in the human community. He drank and ate. He got tired and thirsty. He slept. He had conflicts with his family and with the law. And of course, he knew betrayal and suffering. And through it all, he constantly sought the glory of God to guide him to guide him I read somewhere that Jesus was the first person to feel fully comfortable in his own skin and no one has done it better since we are embodied creatures created by a loving God like Jesus, we exist in time and space with bodies and emotions and variety of, of colors and nations and capacities. All of us 
with the capability, with the built-in capability to be in union with God, the creator of the cosmos. But our existence is still dependent, it's contingent on countless other human beings in the fray, in the midst of the messiness that our human condition is made of. In the midst of all that, that is where the fullness of humanity is to be found. Well, what is it that makes you and me fully alive? Where is that part of you, that spark that you were given when you were created that is aching to get out, to make you fully alive? Have you ever been in the presence of someone who is fully alive, who is growing into that spark? It just, it can't be contained. When have you been in the presence of someone like that? We have to note that the context of Jesus' glory is preparation for Jerusalem, where he knows he will come face to face with those who want to kill him. We also have to note that Jesus' glory appears in the context of prayer. He has gone to the mountain to pray. He shows us the truth that prayer gives us eyes to see the glory in others. And prayer also gives us the power. It gives us God's power to release our glory into the world. For Jesus, it must have been deeply, deeply fortifying to be saturated with God's presence as he righted himself for Jerusalem. For his disciples, it could only have been in retrospect after having gone through the fire and come through on the other side with Jesus. It could only have been in retrospect that they had really a clue of what happened there on that mountaintop. For us, We need to ask ourselves, in the depth of our being, what do we need to let go of? What do we need to scrape away, to clear away, in order to see the glory of God inside ourselves and in others? What do we need to take on to be the glory of God for ourselves and for others? How can we use this coming season of Lent to allow God to make us more fully human, to fortify us, to face our Jerusalems? We have no greater gift to offer to God or to one another than to be the glory of God, human beings, fully alive. As someone once said, Jesus came not to make us Christians, but to make us human. Amen.